This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Hey, uh, folks, it's Corey, and this is the Existential Podcast, and I have today a guest that I have wanted to talk to for a very long time. We actually both lived in Atlanta for a while, but never were, ever, were never able to connect there, have some mutual friends. Um, his name is Jimmy Crabity. Uh, Jimmy's on the podcast today. Jimmy, thanks for being on, on the podcast with me today. Corey, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Now, this name, Jimmy Crabity, I want to I want to start there. Like, is that a stage name or is that like a that's that's a birth name? Jimmy Crabity, that that feels like a gift from God that like is just is too cool to actually be your real name. <laughs> like, yeah, that, no, yeah. no uh, yeah, that's a stage name. Um, Got you. When I started making music, I wanted to have like a, a pin name because I just thought it was cool. Um, but, yeah, my real name is a different name from that. For sure. Yeah, I did the same thing. Um, in fact, a lot of people from when I was playing music, leading worship, traveling and singing, like only know me as Corey Evan, which is Evan's actually my middle name. Um, so there are people who met me as Corey Evan who still to this day don't call me Corey Leak or know me as Corey Leak or like, you know, and I don't know. But I mean, Jimmy Crabity doesn't lend itself to having an S added to it, but people would always add an S to Corey Evans and they add an S to Corey Leak. So, like, <laughs> I've had this interesting experience with the stage name uh, also, man. Dude, uh, I, I, I've i heard some of your music. I've seen your art. Man, you are an incredible artist. For, for those, anybody listening who doesn't know uh, who Jimmy is, he's an amazing, amazing artist. Uh, are you working on any, any new projects right now? Uh, in, yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm super excited to share about it. First of all, for 2020, I've been releasing a song every month. Um, oh, wow. And uh, that's been going well. Uh, fans are liking it. Spotify and different streaming services, Amazon Music have been really showing uh, favorable love to it, you know. Super so, cool. Yeah. I've been releasing music that way. And then, I'm planning to release a Christmas album at the end of the year and a full length album at the beginning of 2021. And so uh, I've just been releasing songs that I've worked on in the past every month. And so, yeah, I'm working, I'm constantly working on new music. And the goal for me now is to just put the art out, to ship it, you know? That's dope. Yeah. That's, that's super dope. Up to. Well, y'all, I told I told Jimmy before I hit record on this episode that with everything going on in the world right now, um, you know, him and I both as, as black people who are adjacent to white evangelicals, um, we have I'm sure I, I know Jimmy for Jim I know for me and I'm sure for Jimmy have been swamped with um, having conversations with white folks about what's going on in the world about racism about race. So in the midst of that, I'll be honest with you, I haven't even done all the research I would normally do on Jimmy, but I do know that Jimmy is an artist who has been leading worship in predominantly white churches in lots of the ways that I was also. So what I told him was, I want to have a conversation with two people who know what it is to be white evangelical adjacent in a time like now. Um, at the time we're recording this, of course, I'm talking about... Um, the death of George Floyd, the lynching and murder of George Floyd, actually, Ahmaud Arbery, and between the two of them, Breonna Taylor, whose birthday is today, as we're recording it, 
So, Jimmy, I, I want to just hear your perspective in what's going on right now uh, for you. Um, how, how have you been experiencing this? How have you been talking about it? Uh, how have you been talking with friends and family about race and racism as a, a Christian artist? Sure, sure. Man, it's been a real whirlwind of a month. Um, earlier this month, I wrote an open letter on my Instagram to my former pastor. And if mm. anybody wants to see that letter, you can go and check it out. I don't have to name his name or the organization that he's a part of. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I wrote an open letter about the silence on racial, black racial injustice in America. And mm. for me, I felt like that it was not just a letter to my former pastor, but a letter to many clergymen that yeah, yeah. Uh, carry and speak the word of God, um, but have been very silent on certain issues. Uh, the letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King that says, uh, my greatest disappointment in my fight for civil rights has not been the outright racism of the racist, but it's been the silence of the white moderate that yeah. says, I agree with your message. I just don't agree with your methods. And so I'm not yeah. going to speak out on any of this, this stuff. I'm, it's just a little bit more time. And to me, that was something that was very striking to me. And so during this time, I have been really given a lot of thought on how I can defeat racism in my generation, how I can uh, be a solution and be a part of the problem and how I can uh, strengthen um, communities that are for justice, communities mm -hmm. that are for righteousness, communities that want that prioritize that and see that as a as an achievable and a preeminent goal. Hmm. And I think uh, uh, one thing that I've thought about has been the, I guess, crossroads or the divergence of the gospel and social justice. You know, hmm. one, one thing that's been super alarming to me has been how so many believers can say, I love Jesus and I'm for justice, but I don't want the gospel isn't for social justice. Right. It's not for social issues. And right. uh, that's been really shocking to me during this time. What, what has also been shocking to me is not just the racism that we see physically expressed through murder and violence against black people, but the racism that we see economically that is a mm. little more subtle and a little more nuanced, but still expressed incredibly uh, still in our country. And mm -hmm. the the disparity that that brings, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of wealth and in terms of power and ownership is very striking. Yeah, yeah, dude. I, so when you talk about this open letter you wrote to your former pastor, I imagine that took a, a, a little bit of courage. I actually have recently done something similar. Um, let me ask you this, what was it specifically, or was there something specifically that triggered you writing that open letter, um, with your former pastor and organization in mind? Sure. Uh, that former letter, what triggered it was, okay, I have been a part of this organization, um, went to the conferences, all of that stuff. And I, I'll just go ahead and say it, man. I was a part of the Passion, <laughs> I was a, I was a part of the passion Conference. There we go. So okay. 
I was part yeah, of the yeah. conference, sang on their stages, wrote on their albums, paid to go to their conferences, and I was a servant in that local church for mm-hmm. seven years. And mm-hmm. I felt like even before that, I'd never seen someone black come up on the stage and preach at mm-hmm. the conferences mm-hmm. that I went to. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for Lecrae one time, but that wasn't me as a student. That was when I was there as a volunteer, mm-hmm. you know. And the mm-hmm. same thing in terms of worship artists. I had never seen uh, diversity mm-hmm. s- expressed and displayed, and and that type of thing uh, really bothered me. And so when uh, the leader of the Passion Conference, Louis, when he posted um, when he posted this. Uh, post on Instagram um, and it was very vague and indirect and Mm. mind you uh, I was going to the church while all of these things were happening in 2016 2014 when all of these things were happening to plenty of black people the only time that I felt like something was said was when those officers in Texas were uh, killed and registered to Come that exactly it's yeah. like yeah yeah you know so i guess my my the tipping point for me was i feel like if you are going to speak out on it and as a as a as a clergyman i do feel like it is the responsibility to speak out against it and mm-hmm. i felt like mm-hmm. you know this man got murdered not in washington state or in california or in other any other place in our own backyard Yes. And I thought the pastors in this community, in this state, would be very vocal about it. And I guess so that was like one of the tipping points. And honestly, I had, you know, was silent on writing this open letter for a long time, even though I felt these feelings, these had these thoughts, had these emotions. But I was very patient. I thought, you know what? Things are going to get better because I'm an optimist. You know, yeah, 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 and I think things are getting better. You know, and but yeah, that was the catalyst for the letter. Sorry, well, I'm so, <laughs> sorry, I'm so long winded. I'll show no, it. No, no, it's not long winded at all, bro. You're, this is this is great stuff. I'm glad you shared all that stuff. Even even for me as as a person who who is ha, and has been in similar positions as you, uh, it's really encouraging for me to hear. And I and I bet you, not even just for people listening to this who know or are black folks that work in predominantly white spaces, it's it's not just the church. It's not just in faith-based spaces. This is a this is something that happens in corporate America. This is this yeah. is we're yeah. talking about black folks who keep their head down at work and just do their job despite the fact that there's overwhelming evidence that even within the organization for which they're giving their blood, sweat and tears, there is anti-blackness. And wow. that's what you're describing as you yeah. talk about getting on a stage, singing songs, um, writing songs, giving your heart to ministry while people who look like you are dying in the streets and the folks who you work for are silent on it. Now, let me ask you this question about it. What was it? Because I, I imagine this is going to be really resonant with folks like me who have been in this position. What was it that kept you from sharing this open letter for so long? Like, what were the what were the the things that that as you thought about it and as you saw these things happening that made you go, "Well, now's not the time. Now's not the time," or "I shouldn't say this." What what was it that held you back? Yeah, 
That's a great question. I felt like um, during the time that all of those things were happening to um, like Philando Castile, Alton mm-hmm. Sterling, Mike Brown, mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. speaking out on it from my platform, my thing, my Instagram, my social media and that thing. I, I am a very patient person. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am extremely patient and extremely optimistic. Uh, one of my friends, when I posted this letter, he said, man, I, Jimmy doesn't get mad. Mm. Like, oh, I don't know what these people are doing. Bro. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know like, what they did to Jimmy. Yeah, that's what he said. Man. I don't know what, what happened, but he got mad. So, <laughs> but I think one, I think for the sake of, I guess, peace and unity. Um, but mm. I think it was a, I think that's a m- mistake and a misstep to yeah. be silent for the sake of unity and peace. And, but not peace from the presence of justice, but just the absence of tension. And honestly, yeah. I am, yeah, I'm bro. no longer like working or serving with passion or a part of their organization or a part of their church anymore. And a lot of people don't know that even like I I served in terms of like sitting next to Louis every <laughs> almost every mm-hmm. every week, every other week as a stage manager, you know, just mm-hmm. serving in the local church. So it wasn't like just like somebody that was far off, but someone that was very involved in what was going on, saw a lot of things. And so yeah, I think my my um hesitance was i think motivated by this idea that uh you know unity peace and i think that was a misstep yeah man i mean i so and here's here's what i'm hearing when i'm listening to you talk that is just so beautiful to me it's it's that sometimes when a person of color a woman someone from the LGBTQ plus community expresses their lament at white folks who haven't made space for them, it can be perceived that what they're saying in response is like a vendetta. Like if you do an open letter or a tell-all book or whatever, sure. that the, the, the view of it is like, well, they just got a vendetta or they're just mad. But like you're so calm and calculating in what you're saying. You're so... Um, you know, aware of, you know, just the, the totality of the situation. Like you're, you're not a person who is sounding like you're just like you have an ax to grind. Um, you sound like someone who just says, listen, very calmly and measuredly, we are in a time in our lives where justice cannot be a, a, an add on to what we're doing. The justice has to be central to what we're doing, and it matters enough to you for it to be central that if that means I take on an empire as large as passion, as large as Louis Giglio, if I take on that, I have to that that taking on that empire is part of what put brings justice to the center of this conversation. And that is so admirable, bro, because there are not a lot of folks who have been willing to put themselves in that position because that position, I imagine, and you can tell me if it's true or not, I imagine that position brings not just applause, but I bet you there are some folks who have 
have been inboxing you, messaging you, reaching out to you to say, Jimmy, what you're doing is divisive and, 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 you know, what do you, what do you mean? Why are you saying that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing, but is that, is that the case that that's been some feedback? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's been feedback on both ends. What's yeah. been really surprising to me. And I got to give Louis some credit after I wrote that letter, open letter, he's been posting more about it, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think his organization could post more about it as well, but mm-hmm. him as a pastor and on his page, he's been posting a lot about it. And I think it was like in hindsight, it was like, wow, this had an effect, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it had a positive effect um, because a lot of people thought, well, man, you're just being divisive. And well, one person on Instagram said, man, this, you have never heard a scandal about this man at all. And um, anything, you know what I mean? And I, I respect that, but they're missing the point when you say Absolutely. that. Like, yeah. well, like my point in writing that open letter is not to tear down that organization mm-hmm. or Louis. My mm-hmm. point is to say, hey, we are a part of the household of faith. We're rooted and grounded in Christ, and we cannot preach what's only comfortable for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. cannot, we can, if we can raise our voices for those trapped in sex slavery, if we can go to Africa and build houses for people living in townships, if we can build hospitals for, you know, Iranians mm-hmm. in Iran and Iraq, we can definitely lift up our voice and call yeah. out racism for sure. black Americans in our own neighborhood, in our own state that yes. could have going to our conferences that could have been at, you know what I mean? Absolutely, man. Yeah. Absolutely do that. That's so good. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, I think, um, you know, the purpose, I think a lot of times in our culture today, we have this cancel culture where Mm -hmm. it's like, we want to cancel everything and the purpose. And sometimes in people uh, expressing these things, sometimes people are typecasted as they just want to destroy things. They just want Mm -hmm. to, you know, tear things down. And there are some people that are like that, you know, Mm -hmm. and and they make that the central theme of their communication. Me, Mm -hmm. I'm not like that. You know, I can see the beauty in what passion conference has achieved and has done. And I can see the, the growth areas as well. And mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. Like when I wrote that open letter, I had to think about my own self and the areas that I needed to grow mm-hmm. and the areas in my own self that I needed to change. And mm-hmm. that was great. You know, a mm-hmm. couple things I find interesting is, is one that for whatever reason, there's an expectation in our culture that if a person speaks out against something that their house better be in order, like they better have everything buttoned up and there can't be any, any discrepancies in their paperwork. There, there just has to be all, everything has to be lined up in order for a person to call out a blatant injustice. And I think that's, I think that's such a tragedy that you as a person who's black, who's served, who's witnessed things cannot lament or call out or hold accountable according to some people, uh, a powerful white pre- pastor, unless you have all the solutions to the problem, you've never been a part of the problem. And I just don't think that's fair. 
I don't think it's fair to hold to hold that hold any human being to that standard to say if you're going to criticize something that you have to have everything in order to do so. And and the second thing, man, that I find really interesting is how people think that in order uh, that people think that when you are attacking the structure or the not even attacking the structure, when you're just saying, hey, can we do better? That you're trying mm-hmm. to burn it down, which to me is yeah. an indicator that they think that the dysfunctional way in which the system is operating is the only way it can operate. The only right. way that it can function is by continuing to be white centering and anti-black. Because that's what I hear when I hear you speak up and say, hey, you've been silent on this. You've got black folks on your stage. You've got black folks attending your conferences. There are black people in our own communities who are dying and you don't have anything to say. We're sending all kind of money and resources across the globe to combat these other things like human trafficking, which have white faces as the leaders of those organizations that are fighting human trafficking. But we're not doing anything for the folks who are right here in our communities who are black and brown. And, And I love that you call that out. I hate that that the that white supremacy at times feels so central to to mm-hmm. to evangelicalism that to to attack it brings people out of the woodworks to attack you. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> funny, man. I believe that the silence of not only the white evangelical but all evangelicals on matters of black racial injustice in America, it's its own indictment. Mm-hmm. You know. If you read Isaiah 58, if you read Isaiah 59, if you read Amos 5, where he says, don't make another conference, yeah. don't make another yeah. song. All right. don't another song. song, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't want to hear any of it. You know, <laughs> I want you to make justice roll down mm. like warriors. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> like you let it roll down. And so yeah. it's like one of those things, man, where it's just like, Hey, I I want to be a part of the solution, and because because of the gospel, this is why I view it this way. You know, yeah, man, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, man. So, yeah. what are some of the, what are some of the the justice rolling down things that you that you would say to white pastor listening to this, or or even if if Louis listens to this, or or Louis responds to your letter beyond just. Uh, talking on Instagram or talking on their social media. Sure, um, sure. What, what are some of the things that are like not performative allyship that you would say, hey, you're a white pastor, you're a white leader, here are some things that you can start doing as well as you're talking? Okay. I will, I will move. I will go from internal to external um, in answering this question, I'll go from things that are very near in terms of organization to things that are far off. I think one of the near things is to celebrate. I think there needs to be a real culture of celebration. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, there are core values that organizations have that like are similar to we design everything. We build everything. You know, you select yeah. your employees, you select who your who will work for the employees that will be over them. I think if you can I think it's incumbent upon us to um create cherish 
and uh, develop a culture of celebration. We have to yeah. start celebrating yeah. our differences. We have to start celebrating um, other cultures. And I don't mean in a superficial way, but I mean in a way that says, um, I see the image that God has placed in you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. although uh, things may be different from us in terms of the things that we like, in terms of a lot of different cultural nuances, we still have to find a way to celebrate, celebrate mm-hmm. different cultures. You know, the kingdom of God is all nations, all languages. Mm-hmm. And there is a huge celebration there. You know, it says, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think a, a real culture of celebrating the other the Bible says, consider others as better than yourselves. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. That, that culture of celebration. And then I think the next thing um, as a solution uh, is to really seek justice. Um, I think when I think racial reconciliation is a means to an end. Mm-hmm. But Racial reconciliation is not the end in itself. Mm-hmm. Justice is. Wow. The reason wow. why we need the reason why we need rac- racial reconciliation is because there's is a lack of justice. Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. so I think seeking justice is a great way for organizations to say, hey man, I, I've been missing the mark on this. How do I how do I get better? And then that is also so well said, bro. Yeah, thanks. I had a conversation with my pastor, and I got to give him credit on that. Pastor John Ochequa at Cornerstone Church, mm. and we were talking about it, and, and basically he said, when when the majority culture starts the narrative, it's always about racial reconciliation. When the minority mm. party starts the conversation it's about justice mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah. You know? yeah and 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 i'm just like yeah that's that's yeah, like man. incredibly yeah. profound so i think that's one way and then also you know i think we really need to take seriously as as god's church the call of isaiah 58 to loosen the bonds of the captive yes. and to loosen the yoke of the oppressed yeah and in, in in very real ways, we have to take a step back and not just look at it in terms of physical violence, but economic disparity. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, um, I am trying to support more businesses that are Black-owned. Yeah, for sure. And I think it is a real task. And I'm in a city in Atlanta where there are millions of black people yes and i am it's a task for me to find a hardware store that Mm. is owned by black people it's a task Mm. for me to shop at a grocery store and i don't want this to come off as like i'm anti-white because uh i am not but for 
I am not anti-white, and there's no buts about that. Exactly. I have spent 30 years, uh, 20 plus years buying from businesses that were white owned. Exactly. And yeah. it hasn't pushed the justice agenda forward. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I didn't care. I didn't care when I was buying from these companies because it was a good product. I liked the product. I liked the price. And that's what I think about. But I think in terms of like for the future, like ownership, and I think as it relates to organizations, in in ways that you can be very intentional about mm-hmm. who you patronize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. if you can patronize within your community, if you can step outside of like, you know, oh well, I only I buy from them because I know them, because we have the same culture, because this, right. because that. Like right. no, no, step out of step out of your culture. And some people may say, Well, well, you're saying you should only you're only gonna <laughs> like me, but but no, I'm doing I'm doing this for a month, and for 20 plus years I've exactly my, I've circulated it around exactly. very uh, more more in other communities than my own community because there is no infrastructure exactly, bro. In my own community, you know. Yeah, yeah. The existential audience is not an audience that you got to make that distinction. They understand that. Okay. They, if they if they've okay. if they've listened to this many episodes, they, you, know, you don't have to explain to them what you mean by that. Okay. My God, it's so powerful, bro. You said so much um, like that. The, the the idea that even to try to start to um, to be about the justice work of supporting black businesses. I want people to pay attention to what you said. It's a, I'm in it. You said I'm in Atlanta. Now anybody that's ever been to Atlanta knows that Atlanta, Atlanta is like the, the Mecca of America for black folks. Yeah. But even in Atlanta, exactly. To find black businesses is a difficult task. That should speak to how anti-black America has been that even to try and do and find black businesses to support, you're like, where are they? Well, they couldn't get business loans yeah. over the last ten to fifteen years. They, 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 many biz, many would be business owners were killed by the police. Many yeah. business owners did not even know that owning their own business was a possibility because they were so busy trying to just graduate from high school, which was a major accomplishment because of this the the. Uh, oppression that black folks in America have been under. So we've got, we have so much catching up to do that, that even right now as we're talking about, let's go support black businesses. There's an infrastructure that needs to be addressed so that we can even have the black businesses to support. Because yeah. as Dr. James Cohn said, and when he's talking about justice, he, he wrote in his book, uh, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, he said that in order for there to be justice, there has to be power. And two or three token black folks as part of an organization is not power. Right. And as we're, as we're talking about, like when you went the original question, how do pastors, how do white pastors listen to this or, or white pastors who got this because someone in their church said, pastor, you got to hear this. H- how do you involve yourself in justice? Well, you have to start with looking at who are the power brokers that you have given voice to and authority to within your organization. Because if they're, if none of them are black or, or if certainly if, if only a couple of them are black, there's not enough power for you to even generate justice. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. That's amazing, man. And, and yeah, I agree. I also think, um, 
what what I've been thinking about, and this is going back to your first question, like these days and what what my thoughts are, I've been thinking about how I can um, circulate the black dollar, Mm. um, create more wealth in the black community, Mm. which translates into more power. Uh, one solution that I'm thinking of, right? So I love shopping at Sprouts, right? And mm-hmm. I love Sprouts. It's incredible. It's amazing. They have great produce, organic, great price. It's a great vibe. But I I don't believe that Sprouts is Black-owned. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm thinking, man, if I want to buy from a Black grocery store, there isn't a black grocery store in Atlanta at the same um, mm-hmm. product offering. Yeah. yeah, yeah, As Sprouts, as Kroger, as Target, as Walmart, and this is just a simple. I'm not. I'm not asking. Like, I'm not trying to go and buy from a, a like black car maker, car right. manufacturer. Right, right, right. I'm right. talking about food. Yeah, bro. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, one solution I thought I have twenty friends that I think would be interested in doing the same, and so I'm gonna over the next six to twelve months I'm planning to mobilize my friends. We're all gonna put in ten thousand mm. dollars together, mm. Mm. and we're gonna build a black-owned grocery store in Atlanta. Yeah, man. God, so we love it, it here. So that it's not, um, so that I, if I want to circulate my dollar in my own community, I can. I think what you said is so true. You know, the infrastructure, the ability to get bank loans, the ability to get different things in this way has been uh, challenging. It's been stopped. It's been halted. There have been very real roadblocks in the way. You know, and I think that is that's so true. And I think one way that we can move past that is is realizing the commonwealth that we have within each other. Mm, I love and that also idea. By changing also by changing, you know, that culture. And I th- I, th- I thought about it. I've been thinking about this um, economically for a while. And I think I know people that they don't ever have to spend their dollar outside of their community ever. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Buy a house, get an architect, get a lumber company, buy food, buy trucks, <laughs> buy mm-hmm. guns, mm-hmm. buy like everything. everything. Never, never have to spend my dollar out of my community. It's going to circulate infinitely in my community, you know? Mm. And I think that has a lot to do with the wealth gap. I saw a statistic that said, you know, within the Asian and Jewish communities and within the white community, the dollar circulates 20 plus days. Yeah. 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 You know, and and in some, and in some communities like the white community, the dollar just circulates. Infinitely. Yeah. Exactly. Forever. Dollar when the dollar in the black community, it doesn't circulate a day. I Mm. saw where it said, and I'm still looking into it, like six hours. That's extremely low. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard that. Even if, I mean, a day is less than a day. I mean, that's shocking. No wonder we don't have power. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, man. Well, let me ask you this for before before we wrap the podcast. Um, as I was listening to you talk about what you're trying to do um, and, and trying to keep the black dollar in in the black community, um, one of the things that I've been championing the last couple of months really is this idea. And I haven't coined a great phrase for it yet, but just calling it social reparation, that when a white person says, what can I do? I say, well, one of the first things you can do, other than besides, you know, after you've learned and educated yourself and sat and listened, um, is, is to start putting your money where your mouth is. Um, I know that there are wealthy Christians in the world who have been giving their money to churches and volunteering their time with churches that have been silent on this issue and have not done anything to try to promote justice in the real world and in the black community. Um, what would you say to uh, a white person who asks you specifically, given that you are talking about a grocery store in a black community and keeping the black dollar in the black community? What would you say to a white person who asks you in that context, what can I do? Patronize black owned businesses. Hmm. Patronize, like support. I think, I think, um, like, there was a phrase that used to say, you vote with your feet. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, where you go is where you're voting on, where you spend your money, you're voting on. And I think, I think the same thing with where we spend our money, um, where we spend our money can be a form of protest as well. Oh man! You know, oh, man. if we if we see certain companies, and and this is something I'm, that I'm thinking about and exercising right now, and it isn't even about like black and white uh, necessarily per se in the way that I'm using it right now. There are organizations that are spending millions of dollars to get Trump reelected. Yes. Yes. I do not support this. I do not support that administration. Not and at all. I am totally shocked that certain company, certain companies that I've patronized are supporting the reelection of that administration. Mm -hmm. And so I think me, a part of my protest against injustice and the inciting of racial violence by the commander in chief in the U.S. And, you know, all of these things that's that we've been seeing. Um. My protest is I'm not I'm not shopping with those companies anymore. For sure, for sure. You know, and if yeah. that means I have to I have to change my life, the way I live, then so be it. Or mm. I'll have to create companies. You know, I have to become the solution that I want to see. I have to create it, and I think mm. we live in an age where we're going to see that more and more. Where um, we're going to see more problems and see the solution. And in many ways, we're going to have to be the solution to it. Yeah, man, that is golly. That's so good. I so appreciate how you put this conversation in context and you put language to this that is so profound, so rooted and grounded in practicality, uh, ideas that have teeth. Um, the, the, I think the idea of keeping the black dollar in the black community, patronizing black owned businesses, helping get black owned businesses off the ground. This is all the work of, and, and for anybody who's listening to this, who's not a Christian, you don't, you can cl close your ears. You don't have to listen to this, but this is all the work that 
if you are a person in America who's who has professed to be a follower of Jesus, these and certainly those people with means, these have been the 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 things, the fruit, the acts of righteousness that you've probably never heard of. That now we're saying, now is your time. Yeah. Now now is your time to show the fruit as Zacchaeus did when he met Jesus, that like, I am now going to give my money to help build up people who have been exploited by my privilege and my wealth. Now yeah. is your time. Wow. Jimmy, man, I, I so appreciate you being on the podcast, man. I, I God, this was so good. I, man, I so thank you, man. Yeah, yeah, same for me, man. This was incredible. Yeah, dude. So I'm going to make sure that people can get to your Instagram and and be connected with the work you're doing. Uh, is there a specific place that you'd want me to send folks that that they can, or where, where people who are still listening, where where they can uh, get in touch with you and, and connect with your work and your music? Yeah, Instagram is great. Uh, okay. At I T S J I M I C R A V I T Y. At it's Jimmy Cravity. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that's in the show notes. Folks, thanks so much for listening. Uh, I want to thank Comfort Fit again for the music. The song you're listening to is called Sorry. Of course, I'd love to thank Jimmy for being on the podcast. I hope you heard how profound the thoughts were and that they resonate with you and cause you to to want to do something with what you've heard. I want to thank all of you who are Patreon subscribers to this community who are helping us to contend for a better world one conversation at a time. 